Welcome to Books at Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work. In this episode's book, Belonging, and its author, Owen Eastwood, do a dual-purpose job of both challenging my purpose and delivering a thought-provoking rationale to unlock so many of the things that actually help people to love their work. And it's all right there in the name of the book, Belonging. What I got as a 12-year-old was quite a profound sense of belonging from feeling like a bit of an outsider and a bit lost to someone who basically someone put their arm around me and say, it's okay, you belong here. And that is a human need. So I think it's an amazing place in the workplace if we can give people that feeling. That's Owen Eastwood, and I could have talked to him for hours about belonging and his experiences. So you'll hear a longer-than-usual conversation today with the author and a tighter-than-usual speed read of belonging, beginning now. Owen's one of the most in-demand performance coaches in the world. He's worked with English football, the British Olympic team, South African cricket, the Royal Ballet in London, and NATO, and... He's a Kiwi. He's a New Zealander who has learned and coaches how, as a species, we're hardwired to belong. We feel the need to belong. And how knowing that and being deliberate about it can change how a team and organisations perform. Owen tells stories of high-performing sports people and performers who meet their team. They kit it out, they learn the team's tactical language, they train with them. They eat and travel together, but all the time they feel like an outsider or an imposter. And in a corporate environment, that looks like being inducted into the processes, but not into the tribe. We begin our work, we navigate relationships, we have a sense of being judged and needing to prove ourselves, while also wanting desperately to fit in. And believing that that sense of belonging may exist in the future, if we survive. And somehow we're expected to exhibit the best of our talent as all this plays out. He tells us how whakapapa, a Māori term that embodies the sense of belonging, can anchor us as we embrace the past to build a stronger future. And how our past and how homo sapiens behaved and existed can help build the next chapter of a team's story. Belonging is a human need. So how do we embrace that in our team and in our workplaces? Let's get Owen talking and telling us how. So welcome to Books at Work, Owen Eastwood and his beautiful book, Belonging. Good morning or hello, Owen, because it's actually not morning where you are. No, well, lovely to see you, Anna. And yeah, it's good. It's good evening here. We're in the UK. I'm in the Cotswolds, uh, about three hours from any civilization, really. (laughs) And uh, beautiful spring evening here so really stunning great so we usually start the podcast with where in the world are you and what's of you out your window so you've kind of answered that but is there anything particular out your window that can paint a picture for our listeners of of what's what your world is like today well i'm very fortunate my office where i am right now is on a hill um, in the cotswolds between the village i live in chipping camden and another village broadway where I am, literally, we can look across all the way to the Welsh mountains, the Brecon Beacons. Um, and it actually reminds me a lot of looking out upon Coromandel. 
it's and as equally as beautiful as there and where I'm from in the south of the South Island. So I'm incredibly fortunate. And around here, there's lots of streams. There's lots of stone buildings, again, which reminds me of Central Otago. So I actually feel very close to home living here. So how long have you been away from New Zealand? Um, about 20 years. Uh, we did come back for a couple of years. Uh, lived in Auckland and give the children an experience of being a Kiwi. And that's when I transitioned from being a lawyer, which I was for 15 years, to becoming a performance coach. But other than that, I have an English wife. And, you know, the work that I do, I sort of need to be here. I don't know if I could sustain um, the sort of work I do if I was based in New Zealand. I'm not too sure about that. Right. Well, that's another interesting story, I think. Um, so let's get into the book. And I just have to let listeners know that there is such a lot in this book. Like, like I think a chapter could be a, um, a podcast. <laughs> um, so I wonder if we just start with some of the bigger concepts and see how we, we get uh, going with those. So um, wondering about how you got to this place where human evolution and historic wisdom could provide such a, a strong guide to building teams. How did you get to that? Well, how I got to that, I think my father passed away when I was five. He was a very young man. He was 41. Uh, he was an only child and he was part Maori and, and, and part English. His father was English. And I had two bro older brothers and a younger sister. So when he passed away as a five-year-old, you know, obviously that's a shocking thing to happen to any family. But actually, when we all became teenagers, I was the one who probably was the most lost and maybe the most angry, possibly, because um, I, I felt like the, I didn't belong anywhere. I felt really quite lonely, and I knew I was sort of connected to, you know, the um, English and the Irish and the Maori and my ancestry, but I actually didn't really feel it. So when I was 12, I wrote a letter to Naitahu, and I just said... My father was Harry Eastwood. My grandmother is Rose Eastwood. That's all I know. I think I might be a member of the tribe, but can you tell me? And they wrote a very beautiful letter back to me to say that, Owen, we know who you are and you belong here. And as part of that, they gave me whakapapa, my whakapapa going back a thousand years, but also with some very poignant stories attached without actually any real commentary, just quite matter of fact. And interestingly, they highlighted mostly female ancestors. So in the book, um, Belonging, I actually talk about my grandmother four generations ago, Pakanui, quite a lot, um, because she was this archetype of resilience and positivity and optimism. Um, and that's something that is part of our own identity. So as part of that whole thing, I, then the idea of whakapapa was actually explained to me and the way I think about it is each of us, whatever community you want to think about, certainly not um, limited in any way, uh, obviously applies to family and, to, and nationhood, but can also apply to your work team and organization or a sports team or any community. We're, you know, we're part of this line of people with our arms interlocked with each other that go all the way back in time to our origin story, our first ancestors, and all the way into the future to the end of time. And the metaphor being the sun first shone on that origin story and slowly moves down and reveals each of us in turn. And we therefore become a guardian of what it is we're part of but we also have these obligations of writing the next chapter of the story. Now, I didn't know that as a 12-year-old, of course, <laughs> but that has completely become the backbone of all my coaching work. So in Belonging, I explain this, and that spiritual framework, which is also a spiritual framework that sits beside the All Blacks team culture, but is also very personal to me, has become 
the foundation of all the different coaching experiences I've had living in the Northern Hemisphere. So tell us a little bit more about that. You talk about guardians of the past and looking to the future. How, how practically can you do that in a team environment? Uh, yeah, it's probably a big question, but yeah, how do you start? Well, it's all it's all practical, you know. I'm not a um, academic. I'm not a. I'm not trained actually in anything to do with performance coaching. It's it's been an accidental career, but I am from a farming family, and what we value is practical things. So everything I just spoke about might sound spiritual, but it's extremely practical. So, for example, that that frame of what it is to be belong and be part of a community, and then what it is to be a leader in it. Okay, so what the first thing we do is we have to understand what we're the guardian of. So we need to capture, um, curate our story of our identity. And that's not only the, the, the purpose and, and mission and values and those things. It's also identifying what are we inheriting that's broken or at least needs mending. I mean, I can give examples of that. I've worked with global leadership teams in the corporate space in, in the US and in the UK. Often they are very proud of their inheritance, quite iconic companies, but they'll find things such as this has not been a place where women have had equal opportunity. Okay, so we've got a great story. So much we're proud of, we've done all these amazing things, but actually that needs mending by this group of people right now. We haven't created a diverse workforce. Well, we've tolerated bullying and harassment by certain individuals if they're so-called high performers. So that is very practical. If you're a leader and you actually capture what it is that you are the guardian of, there's nothing more practical to me than that. And then you work out what needs fixing and mending and you action it, that's practical. And then the second thing is when the sun's shining on you, that is your literally your moment in the sun. And you have to meet the moment. That's a practical thing. So what is this moment? I mean, the, the, with the geopolitical situation, the world macroeconomic situation, this is a particular point in time, which is not easy. Okay, so business leaders can't wish that we were 15 years ago and everything was running smoothly. They have to accept that in this moment with the sun on us, we're going to have to do something to protect this community for the future. So that's a, that's a completely practical exercise. And climate change is a good example where the leaders have continually failed to do that. You know, it's been upon generation after generation of leaders to action something around our climate and they've failed to do so. They've passed it on to other generations to fix. That's not good leadership in the way that I understand it. And then the final thing is everything we do has to make sure the conditions for those who follow us um, will enable them to thrive. Okay, we can't make selfish decisions or short-sighted decisions. So again, coming back to it, that is the framework for, for where my coaching at least starts. Um, and to me, they're all very practical exercises that we have to undertake before we really embark on you know, competing in whatever form that takes. So you've worked with a number of sports teams and corporates. Why do you think that framework is powerful? Why, why do you think it works? Because I, you know, I felt like that's a beautiful Maori idea. What I know now, it's a universal idea. I've spoken to people, I think, literally in every continent, and people connect strongly with that as a beautiful articulation of how they really feel and how they want to feel. They want to feel they belong to these communities. They want to feel empowered by the sun shining on them and they're making their own story. 
Um, so that that is that just seems it's authentic, but it seems to connect with every audience that I've come across. And you know, I think what I got as a twelve-year-old was quite a profound sense of belonging from feeling like a bit of an outsider and a bit lost to someone who basically someone put their arm around me and say, "It's okay, you belong here," and that is a human need. So I think it's an amazing place in the workplace if we can give people that feeling rather than this is very transactional and this is a fear-driven environment and you are only here as long as we decide and judge that you can offer something and then you are gone and that we don't, there's no true care towards you. Okay, that, that's a completely different thing. If people have got your arms interlocked with you, that is a feeling of strength and care. I don't know whether it's the time of the morning, but I, I feel all kind of goosebumpy about that. I just think it's uh, the way that you're explaining it. I, it's really inspiring. So thank you. Um, I'm just wondering if we could talk about some of the other concepts in the book. So you talk about the us story. What 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 is that, and what happens if you don't have have the us story? Well, everybody has an us story. You can't avoid that. Um, it doesn't have to be written down. And even when a leader articulates it, it might not be the real us story. Every community has a story of who they are, what has got them to this point, what makes them different, and, you know, hopefully what makes them special. And it's all very well to say we want people to feel they belong, but you've got to explain to people belong to what. You know, when I work into my come into my workplace for the very first time, I'm not going to have some automatic feeling of belonging. You need to explain to me what I'm belonging to, and I want it to feel good. I want it to be a place where the best version of myself will present itself. That's what I'm looking for. So if you are silent on that and you just show me the computer, that's my induction and a few <laughs> policies and a few and a place to sit, you're not giving me anything to connect a sense of belonging to. So, you know, in sports teams, I mean, I work mainly in the corporate space, although I'm well-known in sport, but... Um, you know, sports teams do some incredibly beautiful rituals around making sure the story of us is passed down. The All Blacks, um, my understanding is they continue that ritual where the senior players will, will tell the story of the team to the new players. Um, so these things are really, really important. They fuel and energize people when they hear the story of us. It's a primal need we have. And when it's silent and there's a vacuum, we will invent our own version of that us story. And that does happen at times as well. And sometimes that can be quite negative. Um, and in sports teams, if you don't articulate it inside the dressing room, what will happen is there's so much media profile, the media will basically have their narrative of who you are. And again, I've worked with England football team for the last six years. And historically, their narrative of who this team is is very, very ugly. <laughs> it's not complimentary. And it's not true either. So we therefore have created our own identity story, the story of us, which is positive, optimistic, authentic, and the players love it, and it has made a big difference. Nice. So you mentioned there are a few things about the us story being who you are, how you got there. Um, how, just wondering if, if there are people listening who are thinking, okay, we need to, we need to start some thinking around this. How do, how do you go about working out your us story? What are some th questions that you ask? Well, how, actually, how do you go about working it out? Well, my own approach is to start in the past. Um, so it's actually not, you know, I've had a very real diversity of environments. I think you know that I've worked even in the Royal Ballet um, School in London, worked with NATO, and, you know, I work with a film studio um, at the moment as well as in, in some of these sports teams. 
So we, we, I spend months doing this, what I would say properly, um, is to understand exactly what that story is. And nearly always it's been lost in transmission or just completely lost. So I end up with a more powerful version generally than what exists. So that is very informative. Like if we're going to say what our values are, then if you understand the heritage, you can see where those values have been lived and where they haven't been lived. So we can wrap them in stories and make them actually compelling. Um, and, you know, there's lots of archetypes of the type of person we aspire to be that we can see back in the story. You know, resilient people, people who make brave decisions, all these type of things. We can, rather than just saying, that's what we want from you and pointing our finger at our employees, we can say, this is who we are. And this is some examples. We've been in adversity before, and this is how we navigated it. That's very powerful and gives people confidence. Um, and it also gives the credibility to the culture. So I start, you know, we look deeply in the past um, in order to, it's, and also to see the things that are, need mending as well. So I worked with Accenture in the US last year, and we literally used a museum space where we went through each decade of the firm's history. And then we had a set of spotlights at the very end, and the, and the leadership team sat in a circle and reflected on, okay, what do we think of all of that that we've become the guardians of? What do we love? What are we not so proud of? And then what is the chapter of the story we want to write? So for me, I think the thing I like about Whakapapa, amongst other things, is the fact that the past, the present, and the future are all beautifully threaded together. They're not disjointed. What we want to do tomorrow is completely shaped and influenced by where we've come from. And, and I, I like that. It's not like we've got a new CEO, so we're going to blow up everything and just <laughs> listen to the hero leader tell us this is what they did in their last business or whatever, and we start from scratch. That's not how humans are, are wired. That's not how we understand community or belonging. There needs to be some form of continuity to it, even if it's one where we need to disrupt it. So how does that work for startups and new new businesses, new organisations? That, that's a, it's, it's beautiful working with startups and teams <laughs> because they get a chance to have incredible intent around their origin story. Now, often what happens is businesses start up and get, you know, get underway and become sustainable and make a profit and all the rest of it. And then they address their culture. And there's a lot of hard work to unpick um, or bad things to unpick. But actually, if you know, when I've had the chance to work with startups or new businesses, it's fantastic because what you can do is you can say this, we know our origin story is going to be quite um, forceful for the people who follow us, they want to know why we came together, who we were, how we did things, what our value, what we valued our values, um, and the stories that we create. So let's do it with great intent. So rather than someone having to sort this business out in 15 years because we've got a bullying culture, let's actually start right from the start that one of our values will be kindness. And, and rather than having to diversify our workforce in 15 years' time, Let's start with actually a very powerful, talented, diverse team now. So, you know, that is an amazing opportunity because you are setting incredible tone, putting ripples through what's going to follow. So just have beautiful intent that you want your environment to be completely aspirational. I love the kind of depth of all this, Owen. Um, you know, I think about kind of exercises I've been in with corporates and you do your purpose work and you do your values and just 
hearing you talk, uh, uh, there's, there hasn't been the depth that you're talking about. Um, so I, I kind of want to segue into that kind of why, our why, our purpose. And there's lots of talk about having your own personal purpose, organisations having a why. Just wondering what you think about that. Um, yeah, just generally, what do, you, what do you think about the, the kind of why, having a why? Okay, well, there's two dimensions you've mentioned there. One is how an organisation might think about it, and secondly, um, how individuals might think about it. So starting with the organisations, what, what I'm interested in is authenticity. So if I'm working for an organisation, particularly a corporate, I, I don't want some strap line. I don't want some marketing positioning. I want the truth. Why do we exist? And actually, quite often, the reason is because a group of people are entrepreneurial and want to make a hell of a lot of money. And so from my point of view, that is absolutely fine. Not a problem at all. However, it provides very little energy from us for a cultural standpoint, okay? That's not a purpose. This is going to energize other people that three or four investors are going to make a lot of money if... if, if if they hit their financial metrics, but I, that's fine. So therefore I don't play off that as something in terms of the motivational framework. But then there are other businesses which have like, did some work recently with one in France, which was the first business ever to address um, acid rain. Okay, and that was genuinely, the scientists just, we need to do this and it's too slow with government departments. I'm gonna create this business and we're gonna do something about this. And we're gonna, we're gonna give something to corporates and industrialists in order to stop this crazy contamination of the environment. And it's ended up becoming this, this massive hundreds of million dollars business, okay? So that, now that's good. We can play with it. We can do something with that. That's authentic. And that does, that's very motivating and inspiring. So there, so to me, it's quite, I'm quite tactical. I want to know, you know, for a national sports team, you, you're there to inspire and unify your country. So that's, we're good to go on purpose there. But it's not always a way. So, for, you know, I'm pragmatic about it would be the word. When it comes to an individual's purpose, I, I, I don't buy into that personally. Um, I think that Western cultures, and I've got great friends in America, and I do some work in there, and I, we have a good laugh about it. But I, this narrative that you as an individual should have a sense of your life purpose, that you should have and be able to articulate your vision for your whole life, that you should have your own individual values, to me, that doesn't ring true for, for our species to be perfectly honest. If you look at our evolutionary story, those things didn't exist. What existed is that we belonged to groups of people, starting with our family, and our complete purpose was to make sure that we took care of our people and we were able to sustain a way of life. And similarly, our values were the values of the community we belonged to. Didn't have our own separate ones. And our vision of success was being a good member of our families and of our communities and of our teams. And if you, you know, in the book I mentioned, I spoke to Jerome Kaino, who, um, who was an all-black, very successful all-black, won two World Cups, talked about his Samoan heritage. And I asked him a question because I was testing this a little bit, because this is a traditional, more collectivist idea. I just said to him, so what is your individual purpose? And he replied without missing a beat. He just said, that question doesn't have any meaning to me. My purpose is whatever my family, my team, and my community need from me at any point in time. And I completely agree with that. And I think it's actually really sad that we've moved so far away from that where people are running around inventing purposes for themselves to be some superhero. We don't need it. I don't think that's fulfilling. So apologies for that big speech on that. 
Uh, no, I love it. I love uh, I love the energy that you've got with that. I think it's so interesting. Um, particularly, you know, I have a personal purpose that actually does resonate with me. Um, but now you've got me questioning: Why have I got that purpose? <laughs> What's the point of it? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's certainly food food for thought. Is there anything anything else I should be thinking about when I reflect on the validity of having a personal purpose? No, 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 don't get me wrong. I think that's beautiful if you've got a personal purpose. Um, I suppose where I'm coming from is that I don't think it's mandatory and necessary for everybody to have that. Um, and I've seen a lot of people in, in both in the workplace and in sports teams who have been asked to articulate their personal purpose and become extremely uncomfortable with the question because they don't have a sense of it um, beyond trying to be a good person and be good to the people around them. And I think that's completely fine. So I'm, I'm, I'm not criticising people who, who are saying they do have their own purpose. Um, I think that's great. But I don't think people, and I, I personally don't have a sense of my own purpose other than helping my family and the teams I'm involved in. But um, I don't feel people, and young people in particular, should feel pressurised to come up with a little bit of a fairy tale around who they are and what they need to achieve in life. And it has to be really, really important and really, really different from everybody else. And an element of competitiveness to it. I don't don't like that, and I don't think it's necessary. And I think that's a really great message for young people in particular. Um, yeah, so thank you for that. Brilliant. Right, there are a couple of concepts that I was just keen to touch on. Um, so one is around um, leadership, and what did Homo sapiens originally seek from leaders, and what's happened to that? So just, yeah, keen on, on your insights on that. Yeah, well, I'm really lucky because where I live in the Cotswolds is actually quite close to Oxford and obviously Oxford has a has a reasonably good university there so I'm very kind and open to some random New Zealander asking to have a coffee with them and so I've got to meet some of the um you know the world's leading evolutionary psychologists there and that was one of the first things we talked about was leading has become such an industrialized topic can we strip all that away? And what the hell it actually is it? If you look at it from an evolutionary point of view. And they didn't miss a beat in saying, well, leading for our species has historically really been two things. Number one is you take care of your people. That is the whole point of why families congregated and formed, you know, the wider kin and wider communities and appoint, allowed someone to lead them, appointed a leader, was to make sure that the collective was taken care of, okay? So there's your fundamental role as a leader is to take care of your people. The second thing is that this community is going to need to do certain things to sustain itself, sometimes just to survive, and sometimes an opportunity to grow um, and progress. So those things need to be identified and they need to be coordinated and someone needs to help with both of those and really effectively like be a navigator towards achieving these things. So but then we need to set some missions for ourselves and we need to be able to execute them. So a leader should be good at being able to do those things as well. But that follows the primary role of caring. Now, I, I, I think it's embarrassing that that possibly sounds a bit quaint, but actually when I think about it, the best leaders that I work with now and have worked with as, you know, my coaching career they do actually genuinely care about their people and they actually are highly relational and not 
in any tick box way, but they want to know the people in front of them. They want to know a bit about their story and the context of their lives. And they want them to be successful, but they want them to do it in a way where this is one of the best experiences of their life and becomes a springboard for them to be a better version of themselves and to learn what it is to be in an inspiring environment and what it is to lead their own environments in the future. I mean, I, I, honestly, they are the leaders that um, I think are outstanding. And they're also good on the mission side of it. That's fine. The worst leaders are ones who don't show care towards their people. They don't make them feel they belong. They It feels transactional. And a lot of that leadership style can be very much fear-driven. I don't think your description of good leadership is quaint at all. I'd love more organisations to have leaders like that. So bring it on, Owen. But, um, <laughs> I think it's all important to also note that from a performance point of view, this makes complete sense. If people are well, if they're energized, not through stress, but through dopamine and oxytocin, then they're going to have the energy to execute the job in a great way. And that's going to help the team be successful. So, you know, well-being and performance actually are completely on the same page. And it's a shame when sometimes people don't get that and they think they're two different things and they compromise performance by making sure they've got good well-being in place that's not how we think about it certainly in elite sport is we're never going to have the energy to perform well unless everybody is taken care of and emotionally physically and spiritually well thank you so much owen it's been such a delight and i know people will love this episode and i know people are looking forward to it so thank you very much well thanks for having me on it's a great podcast Anna. Owen had such generosity coming on Books at Work. We've only just scratched the surface of the book Belonging, so please buy or read Belonging for more. And please let me know your thoughts. I know Owen would love to hear them too. So here's the Belonging Take 5 to take and use now. 1. Belonging is a basic human need. 2. Understand what you, your team and your organisation are the guardians of. What can you build on and what needs mending for the future? Three, develop your us story, who you are, what got you to this point, what makes you different and special. If you don't create and live your us story, the media will create it for you and it'll probably be wrong. Four, whakapapa is a Māori concept that helps capture and guide the threads of the past, present and future. And five, leadership. Leadership as it is rooted in history is all about taking care of your people. The best leaders deeply care about their people. I do love it when you let me know what you think of Books at Work episodes, so please keep the feedback and suggestions for books coming, and follow Books at Work on Instagram for updates on new books and episodes. I'm Anna Hughes, and that's Books at Work, making work better.